in honor of the guy who's usually up here, there was a guy. <laughs> However, if you're a graduating senior going to A&M, raise your hand. All right, we got a lot of A&M guys. So I didn't have this joke ready, but I happened to step into the men's room, and a gentleman in the men's room said, can I tell you a joke? Um, and it actually happened to be about A&M, so I'm just going to repeat it. Um, so he actually told me, too. I'm thinking of him real quick. So Texas A&M has planned a trip to the sun. They want to explore the sun. And they figured out, now I know some of you are going, don't they know it's hot? Don't they know they'll burn up? But Texas A&M in their, in their majestic research program figured out the solution. They're going to go at night. <laughs> so I hear some booing. All right. All right. I got one clap. That's good. That's good. Well, hey, um, my name is Will Hoffman. I'm the youth guy. I'm not youthful, but I'm the youth guy. And today we're going to be talking about wisdom and parenting. If you haven't been with us, we're in a series on wisdom. And so I love the series we're in. When I was growing up, my dad had me read Proverbs every day. If you're not familiar with the book, there's 31 chapters. And guess how many days in a month? So you can basically go by the calendar and read. And so, and it was great. I mean, I was like in first grade reading Proverbs about the wayward woman. Like, what is that all about? You know, and so I, I learned a lot. We're going to talk about that later as well. But uh, there's a lot to be learned in the book of Proverbs. I especially appreciated as a young man that many of them said, my son. It, there were times I thought, did my dad write this to me? Like kind of like Photoshop it in or something? I don't know, but uh, just an amazing book. And so today we want to look at uh, wisdom and parenting. Now, I want to just say a few of you may be listening saying, been there, done that, right? And so you're like thinking, I don't need to listen. Some of you are not there yet or don't plan to be there. But I want to challenge us together that we pay attention, because those of you who have been there and done that, you might become grandparents, and I, I don't believe parenting ever ends. Those of you maybe without children or not planning to have them, I believe as a church family, we're all called to help be part of the parenting process in the lives of these young people that we celebrate today. So I want to challenge you. Now, as I think about parenting, I, I think parenting involves a lot of balance. In fact, I think parenting is a lot like walking a tightrope. Look at what I mean here. And so you have to step into it. There's, there's some, you know, this guy's kind of showing off, but there's definitely balance required. I think one of the things important about this video when we parent, there's people watching. We, we, don't, just, we don't just parent in a vacuum. And so there's people watching. And really, we've got to balance between, between discipline and grace, between sternness and love, between sports and different things. And so there's so much balance needed. And I loved to see that this person, Joel, is getting fully into it. It's not just something you do. And so there he dismounts quite well. Now, let's be honest. You watch that and we celebrate, we clap. Sometimes when we parent, it's not that smooth. Look at what I mean. How come it's doing that? Sometimes when we parent, we need help. Amen? We need help from the people around us. And we're scared. And there's people watching that may not be cheering us on. And, and honestly, some... Yeah. Sometimes when we parent, that happens. But there's people to laugh at us. And there's people to help us out. 
Uh, producers note, no Joe Wards were injured in the filming of this video, so they'll be okay. But today we're going to look at a famous Bible verse on parenting. It's probably one of the most known. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn to Proverbs 22.6. Now, without putting it on the screen, anybody know what that verse says? Just curious. I hear a lot of people going, yeah, because it's one of those famous verses. But if you go to Proverbs 22.6, let me read it. Train up a child in the way he should go, even... When he is old, he will not depart from it. Amen. Now, let's be honest about this verse. Many see this verse and they celebrate. They say, we lived our lives by this verse. We followed the wisdom of this verse and it turned out well. And praise God. I think today we're celebrating parents and youth who who walked in this verse and were seeing the fruit of their labors. It's a beautiful thing. Some of you, you're beginning on parenting, your kids aren't grown yet, and you're banking on this verse. This is a promise you're clinging to. You're saying, I believe that if I, if I train them in the way they should go, they're not going to depart, and that's what I'm banking on. There's another group in here, I suspect, that this, this verse causes a little bit of angst. To the best of your ability, you did the first part. You trained them, you taught them, you loved them, you led them in God's word and God's principles, but they did depart. And that can be very hard. I don't want to blow by that. I know adults who've wrestled with their faith because in their minds, this verse did not come true in the lives of their family. And so before we jump into this verse, I want to ask the question, are Proverbs promises and rules or are they generalizations? Because it's important to consider that fact. Now, many scholars would say that in Proverbs, they are generalizations that are generally true. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. If you turn over to Proverbs 26, 4, it says, Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Makes sense, right? But then you go to Proverbs 26, 5, and what does it say? Answer a fool according to his folly. The question we have to ask is, which is true? Does one negate the other? They don't. The fact is there are times when, when the first do answer them and their folly is wise. There's times when the other is equally. So I, I don't want to answer it for you because I don't have time for a long theological discussion. But I want to ask you in your own life, before you shake your fist to the heavens or before you put your faith in a formula, Determine in your heart, are Proverbs generalizations that are generally true, or are they absolute rules? Does that make sense? So that's important as we explore this verse together. Now, what I want us to do as we look at this verse, I underline in my version a couple words. I want us to look at the word train, and, and that means to train someone up. I want us to look at the word the way. I want us to look at the word he should go. I want to look at the word old. I think that's an important word in this passage. And then finally, the word depart. So we're going to kind of chew through this verse together, look at some other biblical passages together. So the first question is to train. And you got to ask, what are we training them in? Now, it's easy sitting in a room like this to say, well, we're training them in godly ways. We're training them in righteousness. I loved what Pastor Gary said. We're training them for a war. 
Like, I wish I could give you spiritual glasses to see what's going on in the world. Because this morning, many of you, you walked out of your home, and you saw a beautiful street, and you saw your car parked peacefully, and you walked out to your car, you beeped the alarm, you got in. But if you had spiritual glasses, it would look a lot more like Syria. You would see neighbors' houses blown off the map. You would see bullets and rockets, and you would see that we live in a spiritual war. And so certainly we're training them in a war. The question is, we can answer that in here, but if we were to look at our calendars and our checkbooks in America, even in the American church, what do we spend the most time training in? Is it sports? I got nothing against sports. We got some amazing, godly young men and women going off to play sports in university, and we celebrate that. But is that where we spend the majority of our time training? Is it academics? If you work with youth for any period of time, you hear about the pressure put on them to get the best grades, to be the valedictorian or the salutatorian. And again, nothing wrong with grades. They'll get you far in life, and they represent working hard. But is that what we're training them in? Is it social? How many parents live vicariously through their children? Those of us that grew up and we weren't the coolest or most popular, we're going to put all our eggs in the basket and say, my kid's going to become what I couldn't be. Now, none of these things are bad. But we have to answer the question, if we're talking about training up a child in the way they should go and he won't depart, what are we training them in? And Scripture is very clear that we're training them on the gospel. Listen to 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to what? Be godly. Be Christ-like. For physical training is of some value. Not putting that down. The sports, the training, the PE, I'm not saying it's useless. Scripture says it's some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so when we train our young people in godliness, it has eternal rewards. I mean, the fact is we train our kids in sports. I trained in boxing. It was a great idea. But if you look at the percentage of how many kids will go pro, how high is that percentage? And so really, if you look at it statistically and say, I'm spending all this money and the travel teams and everything I'm doing so my kid can become a pro... You might get there, and praise God if you do. But if you train your child in godliness, the result will be godliness. The other thing we train is in the home. Now, churches like this have great programs. Adventureland. How many of you love Adventureland? Keep your hands up. So if you go in the lobby right now, they need 37 more volunteers. And as a sweet perk to the deal, you can get this popcorn and candy and really just a blessing for helping with youth because we have Adventureland workers who work all year and they need the summer off. And so if you're available for the summer, it's a three-month commitment. I think it averages to 10 weeks if I heard the announcement right. Uh, But consider this because now they do a great job. How many hours a week do they spend with your child? Half an hour? Maybe if you double tap both services, you get a full hour. And that's great, and they do a wonderful job, and they've prepared, and we have amazing teachers. My question is, how much time does that same child spend in the home? Well, 16 hours they're awake times 7, and you're, some of you are going, my kid's awake 20 hours, so let's go with 20. 20 times 7, it's, it's over 100 hours. So you tell me, where does the training in godliness really need to happen? 
in the home. And some of us husbands were elbowing our wives going, see, you need to be, okay, hold on a minute. Ephesians 6, 4, one of those favorite verses for dads, what does it say? Fathers. So fathers, you're part of this process. Now, your wife may have more time, depending on your family situation in the home, but fathers, you're part of it. And then it says, do not exasperate your children. Do not frustrate them. Don't put burdens on them that are too large. I remember when our, when our daughter, Jillian, our oldest, uh, was growing up. She was three years old, and we got this great book. And I'm not putting the book down, but it's teaching your child to read in 100 easy lessons. And we were going to have that child. So we began putting her through this process. And about day 32, my wife says, what on earth are we doing to this poor child? And really, if I look at this, I was exasperating my child. I was putting an expectation that really was about me showing off, man, look how smart my kid is more than what they were doing. And so we waited a while because I listened to my wife and we did it later. It says instead, so we don't want to exasperate them, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so training begins in the home. It's important that the training we do is realistic. I love the book of Proverbs. It's so realistic. I think that next week we'll probably somewhere, sometime, it is Mother's Day. Everybody know that? Dads, do you have a plan? Just talking about wisdom, it would be wise for you to have a plan for sure. It's next week. But I think that next week, some, somewhere, Proverbs 31 will be mentioned probably, yeah? I, I think it'll come up. And so you go to the book of Proverbs, for example, as we train our children, and there's this picture of a godly woman. And, 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 the, and the hope is that many children look at that and go, man, that's my mom. And they have a dad who celebrated their mom and affirmed the mom, and so they get it. But also in the book of Proverbs, just to keep it real... We have descriptions of the wayward woman. I'll never forget it. I was young. I didn't understand it. And I'm going through this. And it says, to be with the wayward woman is like pouring burning charcoal in your lap. That's a little realistic and a little descriptive as a young man. And I'm like, I don't want that to happen. And so again, as we train, we need to be realistic. The world they're going into is reality-based. There's topics out there that we think to ourselves as parents, well, my child isn't heard that yet. They don't know what that is, do they? And again, far be it for me, I don't want to be the person that brings it up too soon, but we need to really, with reality, say, what are our kids going through and what do they need from us? So we have the word train. Got that word? The next word is way. So if we're going to train them, we're going to train them in the way. Now, when I say way in a room like this, what's the first thought that comes to mind? Jesus. It's a great answer. But I want to ask this question. What was the writer referring to? And I think by the Holy Spirit, it was Jesus. But what did the audience understand when they read it back then? If, if I was a Jewish man or a Jewish woman reading this Proverb 22.6 and it said, train up your child in the way, what would my mind immediately go to? Well, turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And as soon as I said Deuteronomy 6, some of you know where we're headed we are headed to the Shema. And so in Israel, the Shema was this famous prayer that if, if I was taught right, I'm not sure because I haven't been there or done it, but if I was taught right, good Jewish men and women would pray this prayer three times a day, morning, evening, and before they went to bed. And so as they heard the writer of Proverbs say, train your child in the way he should go, this is, this is not just the way they should go, but it's also a description of how to do it. Listen to this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Good theology, right? 
We can go with that. Watch this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Anybody else teach that to us? Jesus? In fact, he says the law and the pro- everything can be summed up in this command. And so the way is we're teaching our children to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Again, we have Jesus come and he says, these aren't just commandments to talk about and to live externally, but these are commandments I want to dwell and live in your heart. And the same with our children. We don't want to create puppets that just quote what we want them to say and live the way we want in our houses. We want these, th- these commands and these truths to penetrate deep to their hearts. And how do we do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have a book. No, I don't have a book. This is the book. And the way we do that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm not against parenting books. Some of you are like, well, you haven't read the book I read, and I'm going to get you a copy. Okay, relax. Okay? This is the book, and it's by the power of the Spirit this happens. Impress them on your children. Talk, I love this. Talk about discipleship here in the Old Testament. Talk about them when you sit at home. Get off your phone, put down your device, and talk about them. And when you walk along the road or when you drive, man, road trips are some of the best times to have these spiritual discussions. When you lie down and when you get up, kind of covers everything, doesn't it? When you're at home, when you're abroad, when you lie down, when you get up, we're talking about spiritual things. Now, some of you are saying, well, you don't understand. We have a devotional time every morning. It's good. We got Praise God. My wife is that person. She does an amazing job saying at a certain time we're going to sit down, we're going to go through here. We got an Old Testament and New Testament passage. It's beautiful. I'm different. I have a hard time sitting still. And in the beginning, we used to kind of butt heads because she would say to me, she'd elbow me and say, husband, you need to lead the devotional. And deep inside, I'm going, I I know it's important, but I'd rather drive and talk about it. And I'd rather get out there and talk about it. And we used to butt heads and I'd feel guilty. And when she'd elbow me, I'd get really angry. And so instead of a devotional time, you'd have dad pouting and walking out of the room. And finally, it dawned on us that God gave our children two people. And so what we found in our family, as far as following this Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, was that mom would help lead in these these regular, systematic times, and they were beautiful, and dad was real good at kind of going out there and and drawing it in. And we didn't combat each other, we complemented each other. We worked together. And then finally it says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so we have this beautiful picture of what the way is. Now, along with the word way, it says the way he should go. And and this is one of the ones where theologians and commentaries, they kind of differ because now they're saying it's not just the way, but it's about the particular way your child should go. It's about their bent. It's about how they're designed. And so we have to ask the question. Sometimes it's confusing. Are we training them in the way or are we training them according to their bent and design? And the answer is, yes, it's both. Now, be very careful with the way your kid's made. It can be deceiving. You may not have the full picture. Here's a picture of my daughter, Clementine. I did ask her permission to tell this story. So Clementine, right there in the middle, very cute with a star on her head. In the first grade, she was in a school play called The Littlest Christmas Tree. Now, Clementine 
loves to sing. She sings around the house. She memorizes. And so this little thing in our head said maybe she's destined for Broadway, you know, as you do when your kids are young. And so she gets in the school play, and we're thinking, well, there's a sign. This might be her bent, might be what God wants. And so we go to the school play, and she hasn't told us a lot because she's in the first grade. And we're sitting there, and the, the play's going just like this, and the solo comes, and Clementine steps up to the mic and sings this amazing, beautiful lead solo. A little exaggerated. It wasn't very beautiful. She's a little off-key, but, you know, it was nice. And it was the star. And so we end the play, and we all go out to ice cream, and we celebrate, and I'm thinking... My kid's destined for Broadway. And so for the next several years, we're putting her in shows and we're investing money. And, you know, this is what God's revealed because the school affirmed it and she got in the play and it's great. Uh Uh-huh. So last year, ninth grade, eight years later, I think the statute of limitations was over in her mind. If you notice this picture, there's a silver mic that's the main mic. Where is that mic located? In front of another kid. So my child, according to her own bent, memorized all the lead singer's parts. Listen carefully. My daughter was not the lead in the play. And when the time came, she boldly stepped in front of the other Christmas tree and stole the kid's part. Now, a year ago, I learned a little bit more about the bent or design of my child. And it's not just that she's a pure, spiritually inspired musician. It's that she knows how to take the lead away from someone else. And so, again, just be careful about the he should go. But really the question is, it's both. Now, now some of you, like me, you're thinking, I, I'm seeing my kids good at this, and I'm seeing they're good at that, and so let, let me kind of work that out, and I'll give them an assessment. Um, last week, Gary talked about the shape test. Now, I realize when you apply this to a young person, they don't have a ton of experience. But do you believe that's a test we could, you know, in maybe an adapted or simplified way, walk our kids through? I I think we could. I mean, there might be parts that aren't fully developed, but I think we could begin looking at our kids going, how has God designed them? And the reason is, turn with me to Ephesians 2.10. Because as we talk about helping our kids in the way they should go, we have to remember The important part of this sermon that I haven't said yet is our children have a parent or parents, but they also have what? A heavenly father. We are not talking about parenting in a void. I mean, before you send me emails on how to parent, let me confess, I'm not perfect and I'm not done yet. I got one graduating today and, and I'm not done yet, but I got one still in the home. I'm not done, but here's the deal I find in my life. My kids so far have turned out well. And I'm going to tell you it's in spite of a mom and dad doing their best in brokenness. The reason they've turned out well is because they have a heavenly father who's been working through and working in what we've offered up. So as we raise our kids, remember this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. As you look at our children and consider the way they should go, that's been designed by the Creator. 
And so rather than determining for ourselves which way our child should go, our job is to align ourselves with the plan of God that was done in advance before the creation of the world as he knit them in the mother's womb and to say, where is it that you desire for my child to go? The next word we look at in Psalm 22 is old. Now, now some of you are like, okay, okay, it means old, doesn't it? But think about it. Some of us, when we read the verse, we think in our minds, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're older, or when they're teens, or when they're 20, they won't depart. And that would be very good news. The problem is, in the teens or 20s, if they happen to depart, and not all do, but if they do, we begin to question this verse. But we need to know what the word old here means. Guess what it means? Old. Okay? Genesis 24.1, Abraham is called Zakain. And Zakain in Hebrew, it actually it, it, it translates, it says, well advanced in years. So if you look at this as a promise, if you look at this as a generalization, what the writer is saying is when they are old, they won't depart. Does that make sense? And that could mean, praise God, that they walk with Jesus for an entire life, and when they're old, they still don't depart. But it could mean that they walk with Jesus, and there's some hiccups along the way, but when they're old, when they come to their senses, they don't depart. Does that make sense? Then let's talk about the word depart. What does the word depart communicate? It's the greatest fear of any Christian parent that our children will walk away from the faith, that they'll walk away from what we've raised them in. I think the greatest example of the biblical term of departing is Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. You guys remember the story? I'm not going to read it. But this man raising his son, doing a good job, son comes and says, give me what's mine, which in the culture wasn't just saying, give me mine now, but it's like, I wish you were dead. He takes it, and, and it would be an okay story if the son put it all in a 401k, or if the son built this great company called Amazon, and mom and dad are like, man, our son ran away, but he started Amazon, so I guess it worked out pretty good. What did the son do with all the money? Squandered it on wild living. If you want to know what wild living looks like, go to the book of Proverbs and you'll get some pretty descriptive analogies. And so really, I would say some of us will experience parts of this. Some of us will experience a son or daughter who leaves. Maybe a son or daughter who takes our money and wastes it. Maybe a son or daughter who gets... Few of us will experience, like the prodigal son, a son or daughter who does it all. And so we see this departing. Is that the end of the story? And this is what I'm begging us to get into our heads. When a son or daughter departs, and if they do, that is not the end of the story. Praise God. Now think about the characters in the story. Who do we have? We have an older son. We have a younger son, the prodigal. We have what? A father. Anybody else? What's that? Servants. Yeah, we got the servants. We got the partiers. But I would say the main characters we got there. And so as we look at the story, we think about the different parts. And as parents, I would say there's our part, there's God's part, and there's their part. And our part, I would say, involves what? It involves being ready to celebrate the return of those who depart. Not preparing a lecture. Not dreaming of the day when they'll come on bend and eve and grovel and we'll, we'll just give them that passive-aggressive kick, but, but dreaming and planning and praying of how will we celebrate. 
And then there's their part. There is a their part. They have to come to their senses. And then there's God's part. Now, I've never heard Gary teach on this, so I'm not crossing any lines that I know of. But normally when I hear it taught about God's part, it's that God sat on the porch waiting for the sun to return, right? There's a fourth character in the story we don't talk about. If we did a play production, a stage production of the prodigal son, who's the fourth character? It's the narrator. And who's the narrator? Jesus Christ. And so I've heard preachers say, you know, God sits on the porch just like we should, and he waits for the son to come back, and, his, you know, he's waiting. He'll celebrate, but he's waiting. That's not true. The narrator telling the story was sent by the father to do what? To seek and to save the lost. And so God, the father, God's part is waiting and pursuing and convicting and, and, and creating circumstances of the famine and running out of money. And so God's part, he's got it together. And so we have to realize we can't always do God's part. If you've bought into the lie that says with the prodigal, just sit and wait. I, I don't see this in the story because of Jesus, the narrator. So we think about the parts. We think about the departed. And what do we do with it? It's hard. I want to share with you one of my favorite verses, 2 Samuel 14, 14, if you'll turn there with me. 2 Samuel 14, 14, um, it comes in the middle of some tragedy in David's life between his, his children. But, but here's the verse I want you to listen to. All of us must die eventually. Our lives are like water spilled out on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. The reality is sometimes when we think of that child, that son or daughter who's departed, we think it's like that. It's like water that's been spilled out. It's soaking up in the ground. You can try to gather it up, but you're not going to get it all. It's going to be contaminated. And what do we do? But listen to this, the God of the universe. But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, and as parents, God forbid... If this happens, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. Do you see it? He devises ways. It's present ongoing tense. And some of you would say, well, the way is Jesus Christ. Absolutely, that is the way. But it's plural here. So he devised the way, but he also devises the way. I want you to think for a minute, part of the nature of God, part of what the God of the universe is doing right now is devising ways to bring people back to him. This is the God I want to commit my children to. And if they don't depart, then God has devised a way to help keep them where they need to be. But if they depart, I'm not going to lose it. And you come preach me to this later because it could happen to me. I'm not naive. As we close, I want to think about where we are today. There, There may be some of you that are starting out or in the middle of it. And if you're honest, you're trusting the formula more than the father. I read this verse and you kind of did the amen and yeah, hoorah. And that's great. But don't look at this as a formula. Look to the father. Some of you in this room, you're experiencing formulaic failure. This is hard. 
I'm not saying you're perfect. You're not claiming that, but you're saying I did train them up and I did do the way and they've departed. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why it didn't add up. And there may be some in the room because we're not all parents that need to come to our senses. We're thinking about departing. I'm not naive. There may be graduates in this room and and really the thought on their head right now is going, man, when I get out of the house, when mom and dad who've put all this stuff on me and trained me, when I'm out of the house, let me tell you what freedom's going to look like. And I'm going to challenge you before you depart, come to your senses. But if you depart, come to your senses as well. Let's do this. We're going to close. I don't want you to come forward. If, if any of those ring with you, if you think of parenting right now and you need prayer, would you stand up? Not saying you're a bad parent, just saying as a parent, if you need prayer, stand up. And as we close, I'm going to pray, but if you look around, the people that are standing up, would you, would you go to them? Because that's a big move to stand up in a room and say, I need prayer for my parent. Would you go to them right now? And, and we're going to close by praying for them. Let's pray together. Father, we celebrate today who you are. We celebrate what I believe to be the way you've designed, the way the universe works, that when we train our children in the way they should go, that when they're old, the story is not over for a 20-year-old. The story is not over for a 30 or 40 or 50-year-old. We're claiming and we're praying that when they're old, when they return to their senses, that they won't depart. And as I consider who's standing right now, there's people at the beginning saying, God, help me, I can't do it alone. And that humility is where we need to be. There's people standing saying, I did my best. I I really did. And there's some stuff that it just feels hard and I don't get it. And so would you be in their lives? Would you prompt them to be devising ways. And they may have tried different ways. Uh, They may have done different things and feel like it's time to give up. And yet, along with you, along with your nature, would they continue by the power of your spirit to devise ways in union with you to bring back what's been separated? And we don't pray this desperately. We don't pray this without hope. But we pray to a God, and and most of us in the room can acknowledge there was a time when we departed. And we're here today because you devised ways to bring us back to you. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.